like, are you, you kidding me? Like, they, I, I do this. Like, I've yeah. been doing this a long time. So sometimes you have to throw your stats out there to remind people, your last shit ain't better than my first shit. Yeah. You know, it's a true statement yeah. to me. My name is Alan, and you are listening to Learn Life. Before I begin today, I just have to say this. Fuck Donald Trump and anyone who loves him. You can all eat a fucking dick. And of course, you know, white people are really fucking stupid. This episode of Learn Life is about the second half of the greatest musical career ever. And, you know, I make it no secret about the fact that I want to be the greatest writer ever. But a lot of people still only know me as a photographer. I feel like in order to be considered an all-time great, you have to dominate at least two phases of your career. Like, look at Michael Jordan. Everybody talks about the fadeaway Jordan who won six rings with the Bulls. Jordan was a first ballot Hall of Famer before he even sniffed the finals because everybody fails to mention 1980s Mike Jordan. You know, Mike Jordan with the dark Caesar, the gold chains, the Mike Jordan that was a fucking menace to society. That Jordan, his game was 40 years ahead of his time. I implore you. I can use words like implore because, you know, I have a bibliography, but I implore you to watch a Bulls game from the 1988 season. You'll feel like you're watching a player from 2028. And there's this quote um, that I have tattooed on my arm, actually. Dave Chappelle quoted this article about Richard Pryor after his death. And he said, the true mark of greatness is when everything before you is obsolete and everything after you bears your mark. See, what that quote fails to mention is just how hard it is and how hard of an act greatness is to replicate. Whether you're emulating someone else or, you know, trying to duplicate your own success. Now, imagine being so great that you can repeat your own success, then surpass it because you're evolving and you're becoming the best version of yourself every time you decide to do what you do. That's how great Jay-Z is. Hove is so great that he got away with selling me S. Carters. I had three different fucking pairs. The first pair I got. I'll tell you the truth. I got it for free because I'm telling you, I used to be an influencer before it had a title. You know, I was a photographer and, you know, I was everywhere. So I was like a walking billboard. So people would always give me T-shirts, whatever, hats, da, 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 whatever. And I got the S. Carters. I don't understand influencers nowadays. Like they all have the same greeting. Hey, guys. Hi, guys. How about this? How about shut the fuck up, guys? Sorry, that's just been on my spirit lately. But yeah, Hove. And Hove got away with murder with the S. Carter sneakers. That whole change clothes and go. I should have changed my favorite rapper for all the bullshit he had me wearing. Yo, Hove had me in the club wearing an oversized French cuff shirt with a scully on. And it isn't just like some regular scully. It was a scully that had a brim on it. Jay-Z is lucky that his music helped change and save my life. <laughs> I delved into the first half of Hove's discography on episode two of Learn Life. Delved is an author's word because, you know, I'm an author. But yeah, I delved into the first half of Hole's discography in January. And I avoided doing part two until now because I realized that there's something with Jay-Z and November. The amount of drops Hove has in November is fucking ridiculous. Now, we might as well call it Hovember. <laughs> Hovember. All right, I'm sorry. But just think about it. Volume one came out on November 4th. 
Blueprint 2 came out on November 12th. The Black Album came out on November 14th. Kingdom Come came out on November 21st. American Gangster came out on November 6th. Five of Ho's 13 albums dropped in November. Then there's more. The book Decoded was published on November 1st. Jay-Z, Made in America, written by Michael Eric Dyson. That book should have been written by me. But that book was published on November 26th. The documentary, Fade to Black, was released on November 5th. The retirement concert, the concert in which the documentary was revolved around, the concert that he had at MSG in 2003, that concert was on November 25th. And maybe I'm not a fan the way I should be a fan, but all of these November dates tell me November means something more than, you know, every fourth quarter. I like to mind Jordan, though. You know, Muhammad Ali coined the term the greatest of all time. LL Cool J, you know, the LL stands for low life because fuck that guy. But LL Cool J, he coined the term GOAT. Then Michael Jordan, he became the symbol for GOAT, you know, the Michael Jordan of. And it doesn't matter what follows because you know it meant that you're the greatest ever at that thing. And I start to look at things. I'm like, I want to make the Jay-Z of a thing. But it's unfair because the gap between Hove and everybody else is a universe. This episode of Learn Life is entitled Hovography, Volume 2. And you know what? I'm not going to apologize for this anymore. I wanted to call it Hovember. <laughs> Kingdom Come was billed as Hove's comeback album. And he was supposedly washed. But the only thing he washed on that album was Dipset, Dame, and Lil Tuna Fish. He whipped their ass on that album. That third verse on Trouble, that shit made Lil Wayne start calling himself Tunchi. He didn't know what the fuck to do with himself. What the fuck is a fucking Tunchi? I just feel like Kingdom Come was an age-appropriate album. And a lot of people saw it like it was this Get Off My Lawn album. But that's because rap was in such a weird space in 2006. Because for me... Good music doesn't have an age, but I'll say this, 30 is not the new 20. 30 is fucking 30. And I just feel like this album is that 17 game season that Jordan played in 94, 95. Like we saw the flashes, but there was a lot of rust. And honestly, Kingdom Come gets a bad rap because it's sandwiched between two classics. So Hove actually did come back like Jordan wearing the 4-5. And if you know anything about the 1996 Bulls. American Gangsta is the senior to Reasonable Doubt's freshman. This album is what Destiny Fulfilled looks and sounds like. Because Hove was saying a lot of the same shit he said on Reasonable Doubt. But... It sounded more polished because he actually accomplished the shit that he set out to do. It's very rare when the message, the messenger and the delivery are all in alignment. And I think about American Dreaming and the irony of it. He said, who in the F knows how to be successful? I need a personal Jesus. I'm in Depeche Mode. Personal Jesus is a song by Depeche Mode. So, you know, the entendres and the layers that's always in play. But the irony is that Hove is my personal Jesus in that 
a lot of my confidence comes from his music. Whereas you no, know, the rest of the world would tell me I shouldn't write books or I can't do this this way or I can't do that that way. All Ho's music, all his lyrics do is instill confidence in me. I never need to personally meet Ho. Don't get me wrong. It'll be dope and I'd be hyped, but it's not something I necessarily need because Ho's music knows me. His music is speaking to me. His music is speaking for me. His music is speaking about me. There's this uncanny synergy between Hove's lyrics and my mental state. So I don't need a Rock Nation hat. I don't need a Rock Nation brunch invite. I have the music and it's all I'll ever need. My man Sam from Canada, he hit me one day and he told me that I'm the kid that Hove was talking about in Backstage. He was like, yo, there's a kid at a table somewhere right now writing or whatever Hope said. And that was probably one of the most flattering things someone has ever said to me. But I think about it and I'm like, how many kids were at a table hoping to become the person that Hove was talking about? You know, we sat at that table mastering our craft and I'm obviously not a kid anymore, but I'm still at that table mastering my craft. This Jay-Z music is some life-changing shit. You understand? Like, I would have given up on myself a million times over if it wasn't for Jay-Z and his music. And I'm only one of probably millions who feel this way. And look, you know, the older I get, you know, I don't agree with everything he does because there's no path to becoming a billionaire in which you don't fuck a lot of people over. But then again, I'm not God. And I'm not anyone's moral compass. And who am I to not applaud someone setting a goal and then achieving it? And that applies to anybody, let alone a man whose music literally shaped my life. So am I biased? Yes. I'm never going to blot this deep connection out of my life. Hey, 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 don't rub on that. You blocked that. You understand? That's alpaca. That's $25,000 alpaca. You block that shit. You don't rubble. Put the club soda on there. Blueprint 3 is a classic to me for one reason. It was the soundtrack of the 2009 New York Yankees World Series championship run. When I think of the 09 Yankees, I think of Blueprint 3. Of course, Empire State of Mind sticks out, but it's the album in totality for me. Of course, the skills were sharp as always, but I'll be honest with you, Hove came off really bored. Not lazy, just really bored. And I wonder if it's because, you know, he really let the class of 09 shine on that album. You know, Cuddy, Cole, Drake, they all had a guest spot. Even though I don't understand and I will never advocate for Drake saying Tim's we off that. I just don't understand why Hove didn't rap more ferociously. Like he wasn't Jigga. He wasn't Do-Rag Hove. He wasn't mafioso rap Jay-Z. He was just Jay. And listen, that's still a better rapper than everybody else. But he set a standard for himself that I feel he didn't reach on Blueprint 3. He just didn't spit hot fire. Who are the five best rappers of all time? Think about it. Dylon, 
Dylan. Dylan, Dylan, and Dylan. Because I spit hot fire. I wasn't going to talk about collaboration albums because he did a few with R. Kelly that are honestly inexcusable. There's no way around it. Those albums shouldn't exist. And I hope that they're eventually removed from all streaming services, along with all of R. Kelly's other music. But I'm thinking about Watch the Throne. And I remember when it first dropped. Everybody was talking about Kanye washed hove on that album. And I'm hoping that someone listening to this episode can send me the version of Watch the Throne that everybody else has. Because Kanye said, what's Gucci, my nigga? What's Louie, my killer? What's drugs, my dealer? He said that out loud in the studio and nobody turned his mic off. Then Kanye said, taking my coat off, showing my tattoos. I'm such a show off. This is who people are saying washed hove on an album. Then Kanye said, I mean, I might even make him be Republican so everybody knows that he loves white people. We let Kanye get away with a lot of bullshit. That's why his dumb ass ran for president and is trying to steal land from fucking Haiti, which he'll never do. We created the monster known as Kanye. Speaking of monster, there's this lie that's been going around for years. Nicki Minaj supposedly washed everybody on monster. But when I listened to the song, she said, I'm in a Tonka, color of Willy Wonka. Tonka, color of Willy Wonka. That's what people are saying washed hove on a track where he's talking about the demons of being a drug dealer and also sending shots at Beanie Siegel. All right. There's this fascination with saying hove got washed on a track. And the funny shit is people don't know what he actually said half the time, like on what we do. And he said, bullets breeze by you like Louisiana, man. Louisiana bayous, the bayous down in Louisiana, the Louisiana purchase bayou. I tried to sneak another one in there about Drew Brees throwing the football while playing for the New Orleans Saints. Brees throwing bullets bayou. But, you know, Drew Brees wasn't on the Saints yet. But that's just holes, you know, foresight at work right there. And honestly, fuck Drew Brees anyway. Someone should tell him to wash that thing off his fucking face. The way I've always handled it, if I'm talking to somebody, you got something on your nose, on your face, I quit looking at the people. <laughs> I know everybody hates Magna Carta, Holy Grail. Whatever the reason, everybody just seems to hate that album. A lot of people consider it the worst Jay-Z album. Is it because it was a money grab? Is it because he decided to take the hyphen out of his name? The world will never know. But I will say this. Nickels and Dimes is very much a personal favorite of mine. And this album in total, this album stopped me from quitting writing when I was strongly considering giving up. You know how uh, Hope said, the sound of his voice is a hit. Well, for me, the sound of his voice is therapeutic. That's not to say don't go to therapy. Please go to therapy if you know you need it. Please go to therapy if it's within your means to do so. But you know something? I hate when, I hate how people act like learning things about yourself from rap music is somehow considered lowbrow. And maybe I'm projecting, but you know, nobody questions anyone when they say a book changed their life. So why does it seem frowned upon when an album or a rapper changes our lives? Because for me, if it's relatable and it helps you become the best you, 
God bless whatever it is. I just think here, you know, for the classism and people acting high and mighty because they see reading books as seeming smarter. Because if that's the case, you know, I write books. So what the fuck does that say about me? Hell, you should have studied for the test. I did study! 444 is a perfect album to me. And that's not hyperbole. Because in an age where perception sells, the music on this album surpassed the hype. And I'm not surprised that Jay-Z was able to deliver a perfect record. I am in awe of the fact that I know how great Jay-Z is, and yet he can still leave me in awe. And I think about the reviews of this album, and I usually don't care what anyone else thinks of an album, but the reviews of 444 pissed me the fuck off. To label 444 as the album that Jay-Z decided to grow up is pure bullshit, because when has Jay-Z ever made little nigga music? It goes back to that classism shit that I was talking about because it's super dismissive of people like me who have related to Hov's music since the beginning of time. You know, if you're just now able to relate to the things that Hov is rapping about, that's good because everybody should experience the magnificence that is Hov. But people like me who have connected, people like me who have related to his music on a deep level, you know, we take offense to this because it's almost as if people were saying, you know, how we feel and what we think didn't and it doesn't matter. And that's bullshit because we do matter. But then again, it's like that's how America treats you know people like me as a whole, like our feelings, our thoughts, our voices somehow don't matter until they accept it. And I would have much rather people say that they couldn't relate to Jay-Z before this album than to pretend like the last 20 years didn't exist. I mean, he made it a point on the cover art of 444 to say this is his 13th studio album. You know, I'm very frustrated with how people like me don't receive the acknowledgement that we deserve. But guess where I found the bulk of my solace for this? In Jay-Z's music. And I say this in all seriousness, uh, Ho's third verse on Smile is the best that he's rapped since American Gangsta in 2007. You know, the jab at, you know, Funkmaster Flex, that was obvious, but there was a jab at 50 that was really slick. And, and sometimes I think I'm reaching when I try to connect the dots on certain things, but he said, respect Jimmy Iovine. And then right after that, and niggas playing for power, <laughs> you know, that little, <laughs> you know, that's a little slick. And you know? that's that whole, you know, being still disrespectful, you know, Durag Hove is still there. Jigger man when he needs to be, you know, that Beyonce shit is cute and all, but please get a hold of yourselves. This man is an absolute psychopath on the mic. Uh, speaking of Beyonce, I don't and I will never listen to that song 444. I heard it one time and I don't listen to it because I don't need to know anyone's relationship business like that. And I go to my favorite song on the album and that's Caught Their Eyes. Because it's so layered and relatable. You know, the first time I heard it, I was envisioning myself on a boat. But then I started to unpack what Hole was actually saying. Like, imagine you were stranded your entire life dealing with some bullshit. Some of it, you know, of course, as a result of your own doing. But you finally get to escape it. That first verse on Court Their Eyes, it felt like, you know, you're on a boat. 
and you get to sit back and reflect on everything that you've been through, everything that you survived, that light breeze just hits you while you're still reflecting. But it's like, you know, you're in between fantasy and reality because you're thinking there's no way that I'm the same person who went through all of that and made it to this boat. Like, is this a dream? Was all of that bullshit actually real? It's almost as if you have a strange way of seeing life. Like you're Stevie Wonder with beads under the do-rag. Your intuition is there, even if your vision's impaired. The further you get away from the shore, you know, the shore that you were stranded on, the further that you get away from all the bullshit that you were stranded with, the closer you get to a new island that people like you aren't ever invited to. And the second verse is that, you know, preparation of how you're going to handle yourself, how you're going to handle those people when you get to this new island. And while this new island, you know, it feels like a dream, you still have the reality of yourself being stranded on that old island. It's in your soul. It's embedded in your DNA because you can smell bullshit anywhere. You know, you it had you stranded, whatever that thing was that had you stranded is giving you the sixth sense. So like no matter you know how far the boat sails, whatever the size of that boat may be, bullshit will always be bullshit wherever you go. So you always keep one eye open like CBS and that line that don't big bro me, don't big homie. I seen pure admiration turn into rivals. I've been to Paris at least two times. I seen the Eiffel. I seen an Eiffel. That's a dig at Kanye. And this album had a few. The 444 had a bunch of shots sent at Kanye. Like this particular shot about the Eiffel and the Paris. It's like, yo, Kanye didn't introduce Hove to Paris. You know, he's been there on his own a few times. So Kanye can't trick him with the big bro shit, the big homie shit. He can't trick him with that. Then I think about Moonlight and Moonlight is really dope because obviously it's a play on the Academy Awards and how they did that stupid shit with the, the film Moonlight and La La Land. And he had a bunch of entendres that played with that. And, you know, the sarcasm, the wittiness, you know, that's like a first language to me. But if you know anything about me and you should now listening to this you know, show, you know that Martin is my favorite TV show ever. So when Jay-Z said back when Pam was on Martin, yeah, that's where it all started. When he said that on Marcy Me, it touched my soul because it's my life in a song. And I dead ass started crying. By the way, dead ass is one word, not two. Please have some cooth about yourselves or you're going to go on my Koofy list. Don't play with me, brother. Ain't nothing changed. You know, I put you in my Koofy category. Off with your Koofy. I need to touch on a few bars from a written testimony. When Hove said, thinking I'm the last one, Allah will lay his blessings on. I was trying not to end up like Tony in the restaurant. That Tony could be Montana. That Tony could be Soprano. Because Tony Montana's restaurant scene in Scarface, when he let everyone know that they need bad guys like him. So Hove is speaking to being happy that he got to escape being the bad guy and he was able to become someone who received his blessings in order to become the man that he is today. Then there's Tony Soprano and how the Sopranos ended with Tony in the restaurant and the scene fading to black before there was any real conclusion. It's like Hove is happy because he was trying to avoid having an incomplete story and he wanted to write his own instead. Then I think about the, you know, you backstabbers going to turn me back to the OJ. Of course, backstabbers is a song by the OJs. 
Then there's, you know, him stabbing Un at the club back in the day. Then there's OJ Simpson stabbing those people to death. Then there's a callback to the first two songs on 444, where he said, I know people backstab you. I felt that too. And of course he said, I'm not black, I'm OJ. See, Hove is an absolute psychopath. And I'm starting to think maybe that's why I love his music so much. Am I a psycho? <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a psycho. Because I still don't understand how people laugh at OJ Simpson content as if he didn't murder his ex-wife and her boyfriend. Like, people really made OJ Simpson a thing again. And then Ford brought back the Bronco when they started seeing his popularity on the rise. That's how sick of a world that we live in. Anyway, that's my time. My name is Alan. You've been listening to Learn Life. And remember, the light at the end of the tunnel is your own reflection. And I'll see you on the other side. And, and the media then got all of black America in an uproar about it being a race issue. This ain't race. You understand me? OJ ain't been black since he won that Heisman Trophy. <laughs> <laughs>